Bracken and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with when things are going wrong against you you don't get the breaks of the ball Cooper in with Stewart he didn't really know where the ball was but he got the break and as you say it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time knowing that really all you got to do is crack it into the back of the net Hello and welcome to the latest Here We Go podcast. Five wins on the bounce, Aberdeen playing with a touch of verve and swagger again, and it's a big European tie coming up this week. What a time to be alive. And what a time to say hello again to Martin Clunas. Martin, how did you enjoy your two weeks off from relentlessly churning out this hashtag content? Um, oh, it was great, wasn't it? Um, I liked, you know, <laughs> enjoyed the... Um, enjoyed some interna- watching some international football. Not um, so, yeah. Delight to be back to Don's um, and being entertained. Yes. Uh, then it's a welcome return to the show for Callum Shannon. Hi, Callum. Hello. How are you? Very well, thank you. Uh, Callum's an exiled red over in Toronto. Now, when we've had you on before, Callum, we've run what has essentially been a lonely beachenders club for you, trying to find fellow Aberdeen fans for you over there. Any joy yet? Uh I think it was my birthday a couple of years ago. We went to this, um, we went to a restaurant that's actually now closed, or a bar, I should say. And behind the bar was there was a chap called Bruce who I can't remember how we got talking about it, but I, he's an Aberdeen fan as well. And you know, added each other on Facebook, but have never actually got together for a game or anything, unfortunately. But um, I'm slowly chipping away at my friends, and you know, they message me after a poor result, that kind of thing, you know, with their condolences. Okay, okay, well, you're getting there. Yeah. Aberdeen is making an impression on their lives now to some degree. You know, you're the person they think of when they, they see an Aberdeen score, so that's good. Uh, this year, I suppose, has not been a year for making casual introductions generally, 2020. So uh, uh, I, think, I think Paul Harper, didn't he move out to Toronto, Martin? Was, was that I actually did. Yeah, he's out here now too. So we were talking. Okay, we were there you go. We met briefly at a TFC game, which is Toronto FC, I suppose. Um, and we were going to get together to watch. I can't remember which game exactly it was earlier this season, but uh, then you know, COVID hit, so we uh, we haven't been able to get together. But he's here, and hopefully, we'll manage it sometime down the line. Good, good, good. Uh, the nascent Toronto AFC starts here. Um, mm-hmm. On to uh, AFC matters then. Uh, later on in tonight's show, we'll find out what the experience was like inside Petodre on Saturday at the first test event. Uh, and then talk to our resident Norwegian football expert. Well, listen, he's been on twice now talking about Norwegian football, so that, in our eyes, definitely qualifies as an expert. Uh, ben Wells will be on to find out more about our upcoming Europa opponents, Viking FK. Uh, however, first up, let's talk about a couple of players who have headed to the exit door uh, since we were last with you. Uh, the first of which is uh, last summer's marquee signing, Craig Bryson. So, Callum, uh, with this one, is this just purely down to bad luck? I think a big part of it is bad luck and also 
timing with, you know, McCrory coming in and um, just a couple of bigger signings, maybe Hayes, that we weren't expecting to get back this time last year. Um, I think it's a money thing as well with COVID having hit, obviously. So there is certainly an element of luck to it, but then it just hasn't really worked out, has it? And it's a shame because I, I thought that his preseason seemed promising. I think he scored a good goal against Hibbs and it looked as if he was going to be healthy for the start of the season, but... Yeah, it's a shame. And also, like, if somebody was going to have to leave, I would have maybe preferred it be Ojo, but then we paid a pretty decent fee for him considering, you know, the resources right now or this time last year. So it's, um, I guess it had to be Bryson, really. It's interesting, isn't it, Martin? Because uh, wind back just a few weeks, really, to the start of the season, and Craig Bryson starts in the first game of the season uh, against the Rangers and having, as uh, Callum said, fared pretty well in a couple of pre-season games, scoring against Hibbs. I think that was the only goal we scored in pre-season, if I recall rightly. And then he, he came off the bench uh, in Perth. So so it didn't look at the start of the season that Bryson would necessarily be the one out the door, but the signing of Ross McCrory definitely seems to have been the thing which has uh, changed uh, life for him here. Uh, it really does. I mean, the McCrory coming in has obviously led to the, you know, the the priority pack being shuffled. I suppose you would say, uh, which is is a shame. I think you know when he came in, we were very positive about it. On this, it was a really big signing. Every ind- indication he was coming to be a starter and a very big player. When I'm, I think when he signed, I'm sure I read an interview with Derek McInnes where he says he's been trying to get, he's been chasing him for about eighteen months. So this is a guy who you know we were looking we were looking at for a long, long time. Um, and I think we we said on here we assumed he would probably be coming in as taking on a senior role, whether that would be a sort of captaincy or vice captaincy role as well. Um, so it just hasn't seemed to so it hasn't seemed to happen for him, and it's it's a shame. But yeah, the, the, Ross McCrory coming in immediately put, immediately puts him a further a further place down the pecking order. Um, you've got Ojo, you know, you've got, we've got so we've got so many options in, in centre midfield. That's a problem now. Um, that a guy who is picking up wee niggles and obviously there was the, the injury was the, the really bad tackle he took against St Johnston last season as well that certainly didn't help as well um, so I think it's just it's a it's a catalogue of unfortunate errors um, has just led to him being being surplus to requirements and again I know we're we're keen not to Know, fall for internet rumours on here if we are led to be believed he's one, he was one of the top earners at the club as well so as Callum mentions it's a kind of it's a Covid thing as well, I think the club are, are being careful that they can't just keep around guys um, on big salaries if they're going to be nowhere near the first team I think one of the interesting things well, mildly interesting things for me to come out in the wake of him announcing his departure Callum was the fact that his, uh, his family, his wife and his child hadn't moved up to Aberdeen and when he actually spoke on joining Aberdeen, it was all about coming back to Scotland for his family, to be closer to his family. He just had a young kid, wanted them to be involved in his upbringing. That's a bit of a red flag, retrospectively, obviously, because we didn't know about that until he until he decided to go. If he's, if he's basically up here on his own and maybe heading back down there every opportunity, the more settled a player is, I think the better a player works. Definitely, although, I mean, we've seen that kind of thing work in the past with, like, Shay Logan. I know that he, mm-hmm. I think his family was down in Manchester and yep. the club would let him go down there quite a lot or quite often if he needed to and that worked out okay. So, again, I wonder if it's a consequence of COVID and that he couldn't leave the city. Um, yeah. So he couldn't go and see those the, the family. And But it's a strange one because you recently heard about, like, Ryan Fraser going to Newcastle because he wanted to be closer to Aberdeen, which is... 
you know, it's they're still pretty far away from each other. On a more general point, uh, Martin, the, the the concept of signing experienced players, the manager's not tended to do that. I guess in the very first season, he brought in Barry Robson, who was a, a pretty resounding success, even if he didn't play every week, I would say. The actual policy, though, I mean, should the transfer model be focused absolutely on acquiring young players with potential? When, on the back of both Hernandez and McCrory signing this year, McInnes has described them as the sort of signings the club should be making, uh, is there still a place to be bringing in guys who, who bring with them a wealth of experience like Craig Bryson should have done? I think there is, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, probably not quite 50-50, because I think you would still look to get young players in. I mean, the club have said that you know, they identify young players um, from around the country um, and they go, you add them to the list. You know, we've seen that with, obviously, McCrory. Um, we've seen it in the past with Lewis Ferguson um, and among others. Um, so that should be, I think that should be one of the priorities. Is you know, as for a for a big club like Aberdeen, there are players in, from across the country that would look at us as a step up. Um, so I think that is a potential. You no, know, it's attractive thing to come here, but you can't you can't discount discount signing experience. I mean, while they weren't sort of well worn, you know, footballing nomads, you know, you, you get guys like you know Adam Rooney or Niall McGinn who we've brought in in the past. Um, have had experience and they've came in and did well. Um, so I think that you know there is a balance of it as well. You know, signing someone like Bryson, who was you no know, was the other side of thirty, uh, when he when he you know is a different kind of case. But you know, McKinnis clearly thought he could get plenty out of him under the right circumstances. And you no, know, Barry Robson was exactly absolutely that right circumstance as well. Um, under the right circumstances, you no, know, bringing something someone like that who can br- add so much experience. Um, and just that kind of just that football knowledge to to a side uh, can be invaluable as well. Yeah, because as as I say, Cam, we didn't Robson definitely didn't play every week, but just having that experience around the club, on the bench even, or coming on for fifteen twenty minutes, it did seem to make a big difference. Going back to the kind of policy, like it definitely seemed as if that was a move for for the experience was a huge part of it, and you know it's the similar kind of signing to Paul Hartley and Gavin Ray that. Uh, We've seen in the past that have, I guess, worked out okay. Derek saying that these are the sort of signings the club should be making. It's like, well, why have we not been making more of them then? What are the other signings that we've been making? Not the kind of signing we should make? It's it's a strange quote for me, I guess. I, I suppose the thing is with those two signings particularly, McCrory and Hernandez, a fee had to be paid to get both of them. And we know we're not in the market to do that with every single player we bring in, I suppose, would be the, the flip side to that, no? Right, yeah. Because generally speaking, the guys we bring in are either, well, we're still guys like Watkins on loan or Edmondson on loan or, or free transfers at the end of, at the end of their contract. Ojo, as you said, rightly is, a, is a, an exception, but you know, you look back the last few years, the guys we've paid money for are definitely in the minority. Yeah, did we not also pay like a, like a nominal fee for Matty Kennedy to get him in earlier in the pre-contract? Yeah, there would have been money to get Kennedy in, in, in January. I suppose money was paid for Cosgrove as well, if you want to mm-hmm. if you want to go back a couple of years. Uh, I'd still argue it's in the minority. Stevie May even was a couple hundred thousand, clearly. We're spending, you know, we're spending on players more often, but I still think yeah. it's in the minority in terms of the numbers we bring in. Yeah, and I think that Stevie May signing is one where they really hoped it would work out the same way like now again and Adam Rooney did, um, like you mentioned, Martin. And, you know, we've brought in older, more experienced players on freeze. Like, I mean, I think back to Forrester and Gleason, and just, you know, how much those didn't work out. So it's just, you know, it's, it's also hard to predict. And it's just, I think it is about 50-50 right now with working out and not working out. And 
hopefully we'll get lucky again. Well, one of the other uh, contenders for the midfield berth uh, is uh, no longer in the mix either. It's Mikko Vertinen, who has moved back to Arbroath, where he was on loan last season. Uh, and has joined up at Gayfield until the end of 2021. Now, Martin, with his deal being up in summer 21, to me this kind of looks like this is the end of uh, the line for him at AFC. Potentially, yeah. I mean, um, I'm not going to pretend that I know a lot about the the Scottish Championship. Um, I know know from what I've read, he did well there last season. um, He was highly thought of. um, And they they must have liked him, obviously, to want to take him back. Um, I think probably... Uh, we'll maybe find out more at Christmas. I mean, you know, it's not like we send out players and then just you no, know, just don't don't keep an eye on them. Um, so I'm sure that they'll be keeping them um, keeping tabs on him as well. Obviously, Michael Michael Ruth is there as well. Um, so the club will be looking at these guys and potentially if he impresses and does well um, against against obviously you know you've got uh, of course we have our friends from Hearts down there as well. So um, the standard is a little lower than it was last season when Dundee United were there, but you know it'll still it'll do. No, I think that you know he's got a chance to impress. Potentially, you no. Know, if he's done well at, by Christmas, the club will maybe you know consider offering him a new deal. We don't know. Um, unfortunately, you know we're kind of we have a not necessarily a, a bit of an embarrassment at Richards at the moment. We've got a lot of choice in in, in his position, um, so we'll have to wait and see what happens. I mean, he's twenty one now, so really this is the kind of the time where he really should be impressing and hoping starting to get himself some some first team games if he's going to if he was going to make some time at Aberdeen so um if he does stay then there's a there's a big probably a big step up from um, it's, it's I think it's unlikely if I'm being totally honest um I don't think we'll we'll see him back but um it, it'll be it'll be an interesting one I mean I'm sure the club will be keeping keeping tabs and we'll we'll keep we'll get positive updates from him I think that's kind of the point, isn't it, Callum? He's 21, Lewis Ferguson's 21, Ross McCrory's 22. It's just a saying like McCrory, who also covers right back in the same way that uh, uh, Vertonen could do. It, it raises the bar a little bit for those guys, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. It really does. Um, and I think I wonder about the progression of Vertonen too, because like being at Arbroath last year and going back to Arbroath, I wonder if it might have been a sign of him doing better if one of the challenging clubs for the championship wanted him. If they'd seen him last year and thought, oh, he's a good player, we should try and get him on board if they're going to loan him out again. So if he'd gone to, like, not Hearts, I suppose, but uh, <laughs> why can't I think of a club that's going to challenge for the championship? Like a Dundee, maybe, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, very much so. I mean, our both, obviously, again, their goal will be to defeat the odds and, and stay up this season. Uh, they did tremendously well last season. And yes, Verton and... One rave of views as part of that team, uh, but yeah, that's an interesting point that uh, you know maybe an element of progression would have been good for his career in terms of either maybe lower half Premiership, top half of the the Premier League. I think we're going to be having this conversation maybe a few more times. There's guys maybe in the fringe of the squad right now. I'm thinking Bruce Anderson, Dean Campbell. We know there's going to be more bodies heading out on loan, and those are two of the more obvious ones, Martin. I think it will. I mean, I think you know, we'll, like you say, we'll, we'll, this will come up in the next few weeks. Um, there'll be there'll be offers. There'll be offers made. I'm sure that now, it wouldn't surprise me if there's been um, approaches made for loans on particularly particularly Anderson and Campbell. Um, I would. I, it wouldn't surprise me to see one or one or or even both of them head out on loan. To be honest. And also, who's to say that like Vertonen didn't get an offer from Dundee and chose to go to Arbroath? So like, very true. Very you true. Because if he had a good time there last season, then. I mean, I would love, I would love it if we, if, if Hearts had approached him, approached to load him, and we said no. To be honest, 
Um, one of the reasons Bruce Anderson might be um, heading out for some game time again uh, is that the positive fitness news uh, last week on both Sam Cosgrove and Ryan Edmondson. I mean, Martin, when we spoke initially about Edmondson after his injury, we thought that that one 20-minute uh, cameo against the Rangers on the opening day would be all we saw of him, quite possibly. But uh, he, he pitched up back in Aberdeen um, yesterday and um, is going to be available for selection within the next couple of weeks, uh, which is quite remarkable, really. Uh, yeah, he really is. I mean, I, don't, I think we we thought that was it, and no, it was cheap. Thanks for your thanks for the efforts, Cheerio, and you know, good luck for the future. But um, yeah, he's it obviously, thankfully, you no, know, his injury wasn't as bad as we first feared. Um, like I say, good news on good news on Sam Cosgrove as well. So um, it does no, it doesn't bode well for oh, um, for Bruce Anderson getting much minutes this season, unfortunately. Uh, but you know, the more. The more striking options that are available, and you know, Sam Crosgrove, you know, is you no know, is the guy for Derek McInnes. So, um, him coming, but him getting back to full fitness is sooner rather than later is a great thing. And Edmondson coming back, you know, for the for the the brief period he was on against them, you know, he looked very capable. Um, he didn't couldn't really get a flavour of what he what he could do, but he looked you no, know, there, there were some touches and he looked decent. So, um, yeah, it comes back, looks interesting. Um, see what we can do, and um, it obviously adds another another aspect to the to the play. Um, we'll come back and uh, we'll have a chat later on, Callum, about um, you know w- whether we are actually better with a main striker or not, because that's definitely something to ponder based on how we've been playing the last few weeks. But uh, something else that came out of the, the team lines for Saturday, and indeed probably the formation that we've used uh, in the last few weeks, has been uh, that Ronnie Hernandez has uh, been seen even less often than he was last season. He didn't even make it into the 20 players who would have been stripped for action against Kilmarnock. Purely a victim of the squad strength, or do you think this is something more concerning? I, I do think that in this case, I'm hoping so anyway, because you know we had we've got plenty of options at right back really now, especially with McCrory, and so I wonder if I think somebody's mentioned this already, um, not on this edition of the podcast, but like. He's got experience in Norwegian football already, so uh, and will probably use a different formation. So I wonder if he is going to uh, be our right back on Thursday night. And it was just, you know, what's the point? And if we know he's going to play there, what's the point in having him on the bench and bringing him on to maybe get an injury? And you know, so I think it was just, yeah, as you say, a victim of the the strength. At least I hope so, because. You know, as you guys might remember, he was named man of the match um, against uh, against Rangers in the first game of the season. So, you know, I know a lot of people will like him at the club. I think. Yeah, um, that Rangers game does seem like almost like a different season, doesn't it, Martin? Mm-hmm. With uh, Bryson starting and Hernandez <laughs> getting man of the match. Um, he has, of course, only been here for six, seven months, and he signed until twenty twenty four. Um, we spoke about the impact, perhaps, of not being able to leave the city might have had on Craig Bryson. Well, we know that in Hernandez's case, he's been without his young family uh, because they've not been able to come to Aberdeen. So it, it's been a tough spell for him, and it would be dumb as hell to write him off quite so quickly. Of course it would, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's the, that is the reason. He's, he's, he's over here, um, that was family, um, no, in a new city, um, trying to trying to adjust and fit in, and then obviously the coronavirus happens. Everything shuts down. How many how many you no know, friends does he have in Aberdeen? Out with the club, zero, I would imagine. 
I mean, we've obviously, you know, you hear these, you hear these kind of this talk about, you know, he, he wasn't, no, he wasn't a McInnes sign and stuff, which I think is nonsense. I mean, look, he's a guy that's came, a young player, like we, like we were talking about earlier, about like, for example, him and McCrory. Um, these are young guys who have, the club have identified, they've brought them in, who are looking to be, looking for to be big players for Aberdeen. Um, and I think, let's be honest, we're look, looking to make some money on them as well. Um, and Hernandez would, would exactly be like that. I think we will see plenty of him. Um, he looked, he looks capable. From what we've seen so far, um, I'm not going to judge them on that 45 minutes against uh, St Johnston because, if we're being honest, the rest of them were absolute shite as well. Um, so I don't think it would be fair. Uh, so I think there's still plenty of time, plenty of time for him to impress, and he's going to be a, he will be a big player for us this season. I'm sure of it. Yeah, and he signed a four-year contract, right? So I think yeah. when he signed, my first reaction was, "Oh, they're grooming him as Shea's replacement." You know, it's uh, it won't be an immediate transition into the team for him. I think. Yeah, and th- there was a long list of players, some very famous Aberdeen players who have really struggled to make an impact on the Aberdeen side in the first six months, the first 12 months even. I, I just feel that certainly as football fans and probably as a wider society, we don't have that kind of long-term thinking anymore. You know, if, uh, if people aren't doing things immediately, uh, they tend to get shunted out. And um, clearly it's a big investment by the club, but there's no consideration at this point that he's going to be let go or moved on. But it's certainly an interesting thing. I, I would have, I'm sure the club would have hoped by now, six months into his time here, he would be much more embedded into the team than he seems to be right now. Uh, but obviously we are working with incomplete information here always. We don't know his fitness status. There's been rumours and hearsay about him maybe not being the greatest of trainers. Who knows, frankly, who knows. Um, but it was Shea Logan that was on the bench, and maybe it's purely because Shea can also cover left-back better than uh, better than Hernandez can. Maybe it's more to do with that than anything else. But, uh, but yeah, it's certainly when it comes to talking about the uh, Viking game, which we will do in a minute, I, I think we'll be moving away from three at the back, so who knows, we might see him uh, jump straight back into the starting eleven. But before we talk about uh, Viking, let's briefly talk about some of the issues that came out of the Kilmarnock game yesterday. Now, uh, I think the biggest thing, frankly, was the fact that uh, 300 Dons fans were back in the stadium and making a decent amount of noise. I've got to say it was, uh, for all that I'm slightly cold on the idea of going myself, it was still good to watch the highlights and and see the the noise after the goal. That that was good to hear. Uh, Again, just a hint and a step on the road back to normality. So we chatted with uh, Emma Stephen, who was uh, one of the 300 who managed to Willy Wonka herself uh, to the golden <laughs> tickets to get along to Pitaudry yesterday. Emma, thanks for coming on. Um, I think the first question has to be, how did you feel when you found out that uh, you were one of the successful 300? Like you say, it was just absolutely brilliant. It was uh, um, like Christmas had come at once. I was uh, just... Everything's been so miserable and boring and nothing happening. So the, the thought of uh, actually going to Pataudry was uh, was brilliant. Yeah, it was great. So obviously there was a long list of do's and more particularly don'ts uh, when it came to uh, getting to go to the game on Saturday. Uh, were you able to keep those in your head during the course of the game or or, or did somebody, because I think one of them was, was no shouting, but it was definitely a roar at the goal. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I mean, that's just impossible, isn't it? I don't, I think you'd have to be gagged uh, and uh, tied to your seat to not to jump up and uh, and shout if uh, if a goal is scored at Pataudry. So yeah, um, 
I have to confess that I didn't uh, I didn't comply with that rule perhaps, <laughs> uh, as well as <laughs> I should have. But um, yeah, so no, it was uh, yeah I did uh, I did stand up and uh, have a wee shout, but I think that was that was maybe my only rule break. Um, so yeah. Maybe maybe let me off with that one. And how did you find the experience as a whole? Did, did you find the the, um, the stewarding of it intrusive in any way, or no, not at all. Um, I thought it was really really well done. Um, it it didn't feel it, it didn't feel intrusive. It didn't feel you know too much. It felt like it, everything that was done was done to make you feel safe and um, to keep things running really smoothly and you know the, the timings were really precise and you know the instructions of where to go were really um, really clear and um, no I, I, I didn't feel it was intrusive at all and it, it, you know I mean it was so exciting to be back um, anyway that you know I, I think anyone well everyone that went was quite happy to jump through any hoops that needed to be uh, jump through to go and and I, I think it was really well done yeah no I didn't have any issues with that at all and how did they handle those uh, pinch points that uh, well getting in and, and leaving the ground are two, two of the key ones were you given was each ticket holder given a particular time to come along to a turnstile yeah so it was um your block um so we were block t so your block t arrives sort of between uh, 2 15 and 2 30 um and I think each block had a 15-minute window to arrive. I mean, like, when we were arriving, there was uh, there was only about 10 other people kind of arriving at the same time. Um, so there was no... I wasn't in big queues. I saw some of the pictures on social media looked like there was maybe slightly more uh, queues, maybe at different times, maybe closer to the um, kickoff. But, um, no, there, there, was, there was hardly anyone there um, going in and out. It was really clearly kind of signposted... Um, you know, got your, uh, showed your ticket, um, sanitised your hands, got your temperature taken, um, showed your ID and then went through turnstile kind of with a one-way system up to your, um, up into the stadium and, and down to your seat. So yeah, no, and then they kind of filed you out one row at a time at the end. So no, it wasn't, it wasn't too painful at all. But what about the game itself? As I say, it was it was good to hear that kind of noise when the goal went in, but it still must have been quite a quite a strange, slightly alien atmosphere, no? It was. It, it was different. Um, but, you know, looking at the positives, there were some quite good things about it. Like, it was great. Um, I really enjoyed being able to hear the players talking to each other um, and, you know, what what they kind of say and, I don't know, like stupid stuff like their nicknames and what they're <laughs> shouting and, and who shouts at who the most and, um, so, you know, trying, trying to stay positive. And, I mean, it's not it's not the same as going, you know, in your normal seat where you know everyone around you and having your pie at halftime and all that good stuff. So, but, you know, trying to trying to see a positive and it, it was um, much more intimate. Like, you know, you, you could really... F- you know, really feel much closer to the players, um, and yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, not not having people shouting at the games quite strange. I mean, I think people did really like people were trying to like clap furiously, you know, <laughs> trying, trying to like let the players know that they were there because that's what you were allowed to do. Um, it was different, but it wasn't. It wasn't bad. So there are two obvious questions that come from that answer: is is one who is the loudest in the team, and, and secondly, who who swears the most out of the current first eleven? 
Uh, Tommy Hoban was really loud, uh, and he was really directing a lot of people. And what I thought was most interesting was um, the defenders were shouting at the midfield um, so much. Like, I don't know why, I just found that quite interesting. Um, just, um, I think McKenna kept shouting at Ferguson to, like, come back <laughs> and um yeah they were they were just shouting um at each other and um who was swearing uh, <laughs> actually I didn't hear that much swearing um I heard a lot of like lino and um you know what was it uh, they were they were shouting Bobby at the ref um and uh, so that was quite interesting as well but no there wasn't actually no they were, they were not actually that sweary I was amazed first thing in terms of the ref who'd have thought who'd yeah. have thought <laughs> yeah I know and uh, you've spoken about uh, there was a couple of you there so so was it a family group of you that was there yeah it was um, myself and my um, my mum so we're in a sort of extended family bubble um, so we were allowed to uh, sit next to each other. Okay, and finally, if we do get the go-ahead to uh, to hold any more of these test events, and obviously that's a little bit up in the air given the direction of travel, some of the other things that have been happening, you'd recommend it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's no substitute for me, you know, watching on TV to actually being there. Um, and if you know, if the kind of guidelines and stuff are, are the same, yeah, I think. I think most people I mean it's not the same if you go if you go to the football to like go with your mates and have a kind of wild time maybe drinking and chanting and singing and let's be honest we all like that that's it's not like that so you, you would just have to kind of put that out of your mind and think that that's not what that's not what it's going to be like it, it is different and if you're going to get grumpy at being told to like put hand sanitizer on and all that stuff you're probably better not going and watching at home but I still really enjoyed it I mean I don't know if that's just because we're all sick of being at home and not doing anything but yeah no uh, I'd go for it why not so that was Emma and uh, it sounded like she, it wasn't quite the same uh, obviously but she very much enjoyed her day now what might have made her enjoy the day more would have been a couple more goals I, I do worry Callum for all that there is a lot of plaudits for the way we're trying to play football and the way the front three are interacting. I think they're they're bright and smart on the ball. We're still not maybe testing the goalkeeper often enough. We're still not maybe creating those clear-cut chances as often as one might hope. So, as well as Marley Watkins has played in that sort of false nine role, do you think we'd be better keeping that sort of fluid front three or are we desperately waiting for the return of a proper striker? I wouldn't say we're desperately waiting for it, but I am excited to see what, like, I really am excited to see what Hedges and Scott Wright can do together. I think they're building quite a bit of a partnership, but if they were to have, say, Sam Cosgrove, or maybe even, I mean, we didn't see that much of Edmondson, but maybe he'll be more of a, a true number nine. Um, I'm excited to see those two bombing down the wings and getting some balls into the box and having the likes of Cosgrove there. I think that's, I'm, I'm excited to see that. What I've seen a lot of uh, chat about online, Callum, is, oh, Cosgrove's going to come back in and we're going to start lumping it long again. I, I, I don't buy that, because I think when we were lumping it long, it wasn't the in, ever the intention to lump it long. It was a failure of what was happening behind him. So, you know, surely if it's a functioning team behind him, you want a proper striker on the park. Absolutely. Totally agree with you there on, on both counts. Like, um, 
I think, yeah, I think the the play over the last couple of weeks has been so encouraging as well that it does seem like such a natural fit to have that number nine there. So um, I'm hoping that once we have that nine available, that we won't actually see that much of a change in this formation. Um, I mean, obviously we'll see a, probably see a change on Thursday, but we're talking when we're playing in Scotland. Uh, what about yourself, Martin? I, I think I, I think Marley Watkins has done really, really well, and I agree with Callum that Wright and Hedges do have a good combination together. But, you know, I think Marley Watkins could be really effective just behind the main striker as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I would I would certainly prefer to see us play the way we have been. Um, and with that, with that kind of that three at the front, it's been I think it's been more entertaining. Cosgrove, I think, will undoubtedly come in once once he's fully fit. Um, he plays. Um, I don't think there's any question about that. I think you know, we know we obviously we kind of hinted at it yesterday when we did the the debrief. Um, one of I think one of Wright or Hedges would probably end up dropping out, and Watkins would maybe come back a little bit into that position, and then Cosgrove's up front. But again, it's fluid. Uh, any any of them any of them can play there. Um, and I think it'll be certainly more more enjoyable. To watch that way, rather than going back to the way where I think, you know, like you say, no, it wasn't that we were, we weren't hump, lumping it long. It wasn't like we're playing like Wimbledon used to in the eighties. Um, I think that's kind of, it's became a thing of you no know, Aberdeen are a long ball team of you no know, cloggers, which isn't true. Um, I think it just it's became one of these, one of these cute little internet things. Um, so I mean, I, I think we'd probably be the same. It just we, we, you can have that fluid front three and still have Cosgrove in it. There's no question about that. He just he he just becomes. Uh, becomes you know, the, the the main focal point. Um, I know because and you just you play you play slightly differently. You don't. It doesn't have to be. You, know, you set up and you must play this certain way. You no, know, we can we can adapt in games. And that's maybe something that we've moaned about before, where we've maybe been seen as a little bit one dimensional. Um, I think now we're seeing having you no know, having brought in better football players to the club that. We're actually seeing you know, the the benefits of it now. Someone like McCrory coming in, you know, um, Tommy Hoban coming in as well. We've brought in better quality football players, and so we're now able to do something a little bit tactically different. Um, and it's 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 certainly for the benefit of it. We'd like to obviously see more goals, um, but I do think that'll come, particularly when you know when Cosgrove comes back, or even dare I say when Edmondson plays. Yeah, I mean, because I remember, and all caveats about the quality of the opposition aside, uh, we played a very patient, controlled brand of football against Shakura in the Europa League last season. Cosgrove plays, and he scores he scores a hat-trick. Three very good goals that night. So, so again, the suggestion that Cosgrove can't be part of a team that tries to play football seems strikes me as a little bit illogical. Um as much as I think we are taking steps forward, Callum, um, it, it seems that people very, very like getting carried away, don't they? In the same way that people get carried away when we don't win every game and want to have the pitchforks outside Pataudry Street. I, I get the sense that people are getting a bit carried away about yesterday's display, which was, which there were positive signs, absolutely, but... Um, we weren't so far ahead of Kilmarnock that there was, you know, reasons for bunting out in the streets. No, I didn't think so. I mean, like there were certainly points where Kelly looked as if they could do us some harm, and um, I mean they are a better team than they have been over the last, you know, decade. Uh, but they've given us problems at Pataudry in the past, so it was uh, nice to keep a clean sheet. And uh, but no, you're right. There should not be uh, this much. Uh, excitement, I suppose, is the words. Quite yet. I suppose we're allowed some excitement. We're not. We're not sitting here saying, "Don't be excited." Absolutely. No, exactly. Not. But, yeah. 
but I do think we need to sort of temper it. It is still a work in progress, I guess, is the, is the point. But people are going to be more prepared to accept a work in progress when they can see these positive signs. Yeah. And um, I want to just quickly go back to what you guys were saying about Cosgrove, because I think, like, he's a... I like his hold-up play, so I, hopefully he will bring those wingers into the game more. And also, like, Marley Watkins, while I really enjoyed his play, like, he wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the injuries. I don't think it was ever the plan to have... Um, Obviously, it was never the plan to have three similar players up top like that with right hedges and Watkins. But um, we should use Watkins if we can while he's here. But he's not going to be here forever. And that's a very fair point. So obviously, Watkins is someone who the managers tried to get here before, and we know that Derek McInnes is a bit of a long-time stalker when it comes to getting these guys in. He'll <laughs> foresee them window after window until he finally gets them. So don't you think it, it, it's more a kind of happy coincidence that the circumstances have allowed him to, to bring him in here? He's only got another six months of his uh, Bristol deal once his, time, once his initial loan here is up. I hadn't realised that, actually, to be honest. I must have missed the interview where Derek was talking about his stalking. But um, he does that a lot, <laughs> for sure. You're right. So yeah, ha- perhaps a happy coincidence on that front with Watkins, but it's a fair point to make that he w- the initial plan wouldn't have been that. The initial plan was obviously Cosgrove, the backup plan was obviously Edmondson, uh, and yeah, Watkins appears to be, we seem to have fashioned something out of this, and we also seem to have like fashioned this three at the back formation, which is really derived from matching up to some of our opponents uh, over the last few weeks because we were worried about being behind them in terms of match fitness as well. One thing that has been key, though, um, has been the fact that we're well, back to winning games 1-0 again, which were, again, a trademark of Derek McInnes' first couple of years here. Uh, and, Callum, part of that, Scott McKenna looks much more comfortable and much more on top of things. Um you know whether that's whether he's kind of over those hamstring issues he's, he was having last year, perhaps, or just through the kind of growing pains that you get as a professional footballer. But also, Tommy Hoban's come in and um, looked like he's never been away, frankly. Yeah, that's what I was going to say too. Having Tommy Hoban back is probably a big help for him, and just the fact that there's nowhere near as much speculation around his future maybe is uh, making a difference. Um, but yeah, I love having Tommy Hoban back, and I think he's going to be. A, I really hope we're we're able to sign him up for a bit longer because his deal's only to January, I believe. Um, but yeah, I have to say, like every time there was a a tough challenge in the game yesterday, and I'm sure going forward this season, like any time he's involved in something hefty, I will have my heart in my mouth. <laughs> yes, like please get um, up, Tommy. Well, quite, and uh, so say all of us, frankly. Um, there's a very word that uh, they're looking at signing him up longer term. Martin, still very early days, clearly, and he's not yet in a position to play midweek, weekend, midweek again, three games in a week, but uh, very encouraging signs so far. He's showed in the past few games he's been, he's just, he's absolute class. You know, he's a level above what we've what we've had, and I think that you know, the longer we can keep him, um, the, the better that will benefit us, and you know, it was it was really good to hear McInnes, Derek McInnes come out and say that they were looking to get him signed up again. You know, despite despite all the injury problems, you can see you can see that he is he is a really really good player. If we're going to have if we're going to have a successful season, I mean, you know, you guys, I mean, I can't believe what I'm hearing from you guys. Let's be honest, no. If we're going to get carried away, look, there's only one team going to stop the ten this season, and it isn't going to be the team in blue from Govan, isn't it? It's us. It's us. No, we're the we're the only ones that can stop the ten. So if Tommy Hoban stays, then that helps us do that. 
Ah, I knew there was a reason you were on this podcast, Martin. Uh, resident cheerleader. Um, um, <laughs> so just just quickly, the other thing I like about having Hoban is having that back three, obviously, that you've touched on already, but allowing Hayes to play that kind of hybrid role on the left. Uh, I thought his game yes, uh, yesterday was the best he's had since he's come back. I mean, obviously, it's a small sample, but small sample size. But, um, yeah, he was man of the match for me yesterday. He was, I thought he was awesome. It's actually interesting with those sort of wing-backs who are obviously very attacking wing-backs. We have seen more of them almost in a defensive manner. And I think you touched upon it earlier, Callum, it's because we don't have that natural striker. That they're not that they're coming inside and they're not being asked to get to the byline and put balls in. So we're not maybe seeing them as we expect to see them as attacking fullbacks, because that's you know what you think of when you think of attacking fullbacks. But I think the lack of a proper striker is actually meaning that you know you're having to um, appreciate more of what they do on a uh, in a defensive front as opposed to what they do in an attacking sense. John Hayes obviously came um, switched positions later on, and he was he had a, a shot as well coming from coming from left wing back, which uh, Danny Rogers just parried over. But uh, but in terms of again what you traditionally expect with Johnny Hayes about bombing, certainly in his first spell here about getting to the byline putting great balls in we we haven't really seen that at all but I think that that's quite possibly down to the way we're set up up top as well so that'll be interesting to see how how that plays out how the wing backs play if we keep with that setup how the wing backs play with a more out and out number nine so 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 again that'll be interesting because I think the positioning of those wing backs as well has been something that has taken a while to get right both with the three at the back and with the two at the back so so th- that's definitely a work in progress as well Yeah I thought it was fun yesterday seeing like Hoban even kept coming forward quite a bit and I think he's mm-hmm. had some experience playing right back and then obviously Andy Considine on the left has got plenty of experience playing left back so it allows Hayes and Kennedy, if it's going to be Kennedy playing on the right, or Hernandez or whoever, to push up even further. Yeah, and again, Callum, I think that's one of the joys of this side right here, right now, that there is so much potential, so much yeah, different options in the team, and uh, it's going to be very interesting as the season goes on to see how it all pans out. Equally interesting will be Thursday night over in Stavanger as the Dons resume their Europa League qualifying campaign against Viking. But to get an inside track on how Viking themselves will set up and some of the key danger men, we spoke to Ben Wells, who's uh, a Norwegian football analyst. Uh, hello, Ben. Um, first off, I think um, to ask you about Viking, it seems from the outside looking in that one thing you can be guaranteed in their games is a lot of goals. Yeah, they're um, definitely quite an attacking team, um, a very sort of counter-attacking team, um, more so last year, I think. Um, Last year had a really good season. They started sort of a pretty mixed bag of results, but towards the end of the year, really kicked on. They ended up winning the Norwegian Cup, which was massive in Stavanger, which is where Viking are based. And yeah, they are very much an attacking side. If you look at the way their team's set up, they have two very attacking sort of central midfielders. The fullbacks always bomb on quite high up the pitch. And obviously, as well as that, you've got the front three who are all 
in pretty decent form as well at the moment coming into this game. Yeah, looking at the way they set up, um, but actually let's talk a little bit about last season because they're here because they won yeah. the Norwegian Cup in 2019, as you rightly say. Um, and this season, uh, they're 10th in the league, which might be a bit misleading because they've obviously been capable of producing good one-off results, like the one against uh, Mulder last time out. So really, I think the first thing to, to say is that they're, they're obviously a good cup team. Yeah, they are. They're in their league performances this year haven't been anywhere near as good as last year. They've started the season pr- pretty rocky form, really. Um, the manager was getting you know, praised completely last year for their performances, and this year there's been a lot more pressure on him. And I think that's partially due to sort of like the increased expectation. Um, they were they were still like yeah. very inconsistent last year, and but the cup sort of papered over a lot of the cracks that cup win. And I think this year, sort of without the cup, which has now been cancelled, um, it sort of exposed them a little bit to, you know, like that, in, that level of inconsistency. So whilst they are still a strong team and they have picked up results, you know, in recent weeks, like he's mentioned, sort of easing Mulder, um, at the same time, they are still very inconsistent. And I think, like, yeah, these one-off games will always suit Norwegian clubs well, especially when they're sort of, they're punching up. I mean, this is Vikings first time in Europe in a long time. They're obviously going to be, sort of, you know, really yeah. up this game. They really want to sort of show they can compete at this level. And yeah, they are a side that always look better when they're the underdogs. And I think that's natural to a lot of Norwegian teams, really. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they get on. I mean, as I said, like the league form has picked up a little bit, but it's still not quite, you know, as good as last year. They obviously have lost a few players in between seasons as well. So. It'll definitely be interesting to see how they set up against Aberdeen. In terms of their standard setup, four three three is that fair to say? Yeah, pretty much. It's quite an attacking four three three. There's no natural defensive midfielder, although uh, Christopher Lockberg plays there, a sort of deeper line playmaker. And then you've got next to him is probably going to be um, Ibrahim Ay and Torstein Bone, both of whom are very attacking midfielders, both sort of pretty natural on the wing as well. So yeah, they're not. They're not traditional central midfielders in that sense. And then, yeah, the front three, you've got guys like Zima Petici, who's been linked to a lot of Scottish clubs actually recently. Um, he's in brilliant form. And again, sort of like they've got a lot of these sort of like tricky wingers in their side. They've got midfielders who will bomb forward, a lot of box-to-box players. Um, unfortunately, they've just lost, well, they're in the process of losing their left-back, uh, Adrian Nilsson Pereira, who's a 21-year-old uh, fullback. He's um, on his way to Pyok or PAOK in Greece, um, but he was very key to their attacking play. The way he sort of gets up and down that left-hand side uh, has become a really important player for Viking in the last couple of years. Yeah, that was uh, sort of my outline notes from a few days ago. Uh, were, were kind of ripped up when I saw that that move was going through because uh, Pereira and uh, Bitici uh, seem to link up quite well uh, from what I've seen of uh, of them playing uh, down that left hand side. Um, and that uh, certainly, uh, again, looking at some of the analysis that, uh, and I'm sure you've read it, David Weatherson, who's a professional footballer who moved out to Norway and, yeah. and lives out there now, he he seemed to stress the fact that they they're quite strong attacking down the left-hand side, so it's going to be an interesting contrast, and it's interesting to see what we do, we've been flirting with this back yeah, through these uh, last few weeks Yeah, so I think it's worth mentioning as well um, the replacement for Nilsson Pereira is uh, Rolf Vickston who is sort of very opposite when it comes to that style of fullback, he's a lot more defensive, he's an older guy he's not going to be up and down the pitch 
his delivery into a box is nowhere near as good and he's not a dribbler. So it is a big loss. And, and I did like mention David there. He's very, very good at analysts when it comes to elite. He really knows his stuff. And yeah, he's right to highlight that left-hand side because it's been so strong. And Nilsson Pereira has been getting a lot of assists and Batichi has been contributing more than ever this year. So it's going to be interesting to see how uh, Batichi especially is going to cope without that sort of supply line from just from just behind him from Pereira. In terms of the other players to look out for, uh, a guy that's it's gone back to uh, V-King this year, having started his career there, uh, a name that some people might know because of his time in, in Germany and his, uh, his season at Rapid Vienna, uh, Vetan Berisha. Um, he's had a good season, goal-scoring season, coming back to the club where he was uh, brought through the ranks. Yeah, he's a massive signing actually for V-King um, in the off-season, sort of partially funded by their cup success and this upcoming European run, they invested quite heavily in a lot of uh, replacements in their squad. Uh, they obviously lost a lot of players last year. They lost Christian Torsvet, who was hugely important in midfield, and uh, Zlatko Tripic, uh, winger, who went to Turkey, was probably their strongest player by a distance. And losing those two, they managed to sort of reinvest in their squad, and Berisha was a massive investment for them. I think they paid in the region about half a million pounds and five million kroner for him which for a Norwegian club to make it on a domestic signing is massive. So expectations have been huge for him and he actually started pretty poorly. He's he's not a prolific goal scorer by any means. He's always been sort of you know a very hard working striker, a pressing forward, um, often played on the wings as well. So but I think the problem was when he came into Viking people were expecting him to be that sort of fifteen, twenty goal striker for the season. And um it took him a little while to sort of readapt, so there was a few sort of fitness issues early on. Um, but definitely recently he started to sort of perform again. He started to show how good he really is. I mean, a lot of people forget he's only 26. He looks about 35, but he's only 26 years old. He's still like just coming into his prime and he's got a lot of experience behind him, as you mentioned. Like he's played, played all over the place, back now at Viking, which possibly could be seen as a step back, but I think he's, he's just starting to flourish and, He's just sort of settling into how a team plays. So, yeah, he's on, he's definitely one who's sort of on the way up in that squad. Now, one thing which uh, is going to get some uh, press over here is the fact that uh, I, in the stadium of Stavanger they have a plastic pitch. Now, our experience of plastic pitches in Scotland are not great. I think primarily because uh, we have teams that kind of use them as a tactical advantage in terms of maybe not watering the pitch when better football teams come yeah. to play. Uh, so it's a stickier surface, a drier surface. Um, I suspect from what I've heard of the way Vikings set up and the way that they play that, that that's not going to be this kind of pitch on Thursday night. Obviously in Norway, the majority of pitches now are artificial and generally they're yeah. pretty good quality. And I saw, yeah, I understand what you're saying with the Scottish pitches. I've seen a few which are a bit a bit below par and, you know, like you said, that the watering of the pitches. But it doesn't really happen as much in Norway. It's, I mean... A lot of fans always prefer the grass pitches, and I mean, I prefer grass pitches, but at the same time, there's so many benefits to artificial pitches, especially in Norway. Like, these teams get to train mm-hmm. all year round, and obviously Viking are training, you know, 11 months, 12 months a year on these plastic pitches. And it does sort of, it does obviously influence the style of football, because you can, in Norway especially, you can trust the balance of the ball a lot more. Um, you can play on the ground a lot easier than on, say, 
a grass pitch which might have been affected by you know, snow or frost in Norway, which is a common occurrence. And obviously the pitch then sort of gets very up and down. But you, you do notice, especially in recent years, a lot of Norwegian teams are starting to play a lot more sort of free-flowing attacking football. A lot of counter-attacking football, um, you know, playing direct balls, skidding on the surface forward, getting that ball in behind. So it'll be an interesting match-up. Um, but yeah, Viking definitely very comfortable on artificial pitches. Um, I think a lot of teams have struggled with the transition from artificial to grass in the past, but yeah, Viking very much at home on that sort of surface. Yeah, and whilst they do tend, to, again, based on what I've seen, they do tend to favour a, a, a more precise build-up. They're not afraid to go long, are they? No, not at all. I mean, I think like like any Norwegian team, there's always a backup tactic that they train well and. A lot of the time, you know, someone like Barisha, for example, when he's playing up front, doesn't really suit that style of play, but they do have a striker on the bench called Tommy Hoyland, who's uh, much more of like a traditional Norwegian striker. A uh, big, strong guy, he likes to get in behind, he's good at hold-up play. And you'll see that if Viking are chasing a game, they'll often come on after an hour and the tactics might then sort of switch up. So there's definitely sort of, definitely different sort of tactical setups Viking can employ. Um, I'm pretty sure they'll try and probably plan counter. But, yeah, again, they're more, I think they're more than comfortable playing long-ball football. It's not something that they're afraid to do if, it, if, it, if the match calls for it. Uh, just finally, uh, Ben, we don't like to make too many detailed predictions here because we end up um, making arses of ourselves, but um, it, it strikes me as this is a pretty 50-50 tie. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough one to sort of, to sort of weigh up, I guess, because... Um, Viking are like a very, Viking are pretty decent Norwegian side and comparing the Norwegian Premier League and the, um, and the Scottish Premier League is very tough because obviously the strength of Celtic and Rangers in Aberdeen to an extent as well tends to outweigh a lot of the quality in the Elite Serien. So I, I find like the Scottish Premier League is a lot more sort of top heavy than the Elite Serien is, but at, yeah. the, at the same time a lot of, you know, a lot of Norwegian clubs have given Scottish clubs a good run for their money in the past. I mean, Jim Rosenborg have played Celtic God knows how many times in the last few years and the matches are never as um, one-sided as I expect them to be. So it's going to be an interesting setup. I mean, Aberdeen have obviously got, it looks like a pretty good team on paper. I'm not sure what it's like from your side. I, I mean, I can't say I watch Aberdeen week in, week out, but I know guys like Lewis Ferguson and like Johnny Hayes, Ross McCrory, all pretty good players on paper and definitely sort of of the quality of a top-end elite Serie team or even higher. So I think Viking will probably tell themselves they're coming into the game as slight underdogs, especially because they've not been in Europe in so long. They're just coming off the back of a very intense start of the season. So I think any any result there would be a big bonus for them. But at the same time, I think in the back of their minds, they'll probably they'll still fancy themselves. I fancy that a lot of their attacking players are in form. And, you know, they could sort of pull off a mini shock, I guess, against Aberdeen. I mean, obviously, the Norwegian season, uh, 16 games into it broadly for the top flight. Uh, how did it uh, How did it survive through the uh, the first wave of lockdown over there? Did it just keep playing or was there a gap? Or Yeah, quite a big gap, actually. It was, um, they pretty much got to the end of pre-season in sort of start to middle of March. A lot of teams were just doing their sort of final camp, uh, training camps abroad. So a lot of teams were in Turkey or Spain. And then obviously they all had to fly back. Football was completely stopped. So it completely stopped from March until June. So it was a big gap. Um, 
and they end up losing sort of two two to three months of the season really at the start. So since June it's been it's been very intense. They've been playing pretty much three times a week every week at least. So a lot of the teams were really really fatigued by sort of by the start of August and. Luckily, in the last few weeks, there's been an international couple of an international break. There's been a little mini break as well for the team, so they're just sort of they're just starting to refresh now. And it is things are sort of starting to slow down, but I think they're very wary of getting the season completed before December, when you know the snow hits, the ice hits, the pitches start to freeze, and you know you get games completely waterlogged. So yeah, I think they're very aware that the season needs to be finished quickly and. It's still going to be intense in the second half of the season, but the sort of the worst of it's been and gone now, I guess. And yeah, I think Norway in general has dealt with um, the sort of COVID crisis pretty well, and they're still being very cautious with a lot of the measures out there, which is good. Um, but yeah, I guess like the sooner the fans get back in the stadium and stuff like that, the better. But yeah, for now, it's still pretty affected. Because uh, Viking have had some supporters uh, in their home matches for the last few games, I believe. 200? Yeah, so they're allowed, yeah, allowed 200 uh, home fans at their home games. So there's no away fans at the moment, but the NFF, which is yeah, the Norwegian Football Federation, have, they're allowing 200 people in. And it's be- to be fair, it's better than nothing. There's still a pretty good atmosphere in a lot of games. Um, I think it's different in Europe. I don't think there's any fans allowed in these European games, which is unfortunate, but... No, no. But yeah, in the, in the league, it's been, it's not ideal. It's still like a very sort of minimal amount of fans, but it's better than nothing. And at least there's sort of, there's been some atmosphere in the ground rather than like BT Sport pumping in, you know, the terrible crowd noises, stuff like that. So <laughs> it's not been too bad. Yes, yes. Uh, never ever going to get used to that. Anyway, uh, Ben, thank you very much for your time. No, thank you. Cheers for having me on again. So as Ben pointed out there, guys, Viking tend to play a 4-3-3. Slightly lopsided 4-3-3 perhaps, with a, uh, more, more of the attacking thrust coming down the left. But I find it hard to believe that we'll be quite so gung-ho, Callum, as to go three at the back against their front three. No, I think you're right there. And that's like like we were saying earlier, I, w- I imagine Ronnie Hernandez will come in and play right back for in a back four. I think we've seen it before, you know, when we're the away team and we're playing a, a decent side, we'll be we'll certainly be a lot more cautious than we were yesterday. What we've seen from him tactically so far this season, Martin, has been um, a willingness to match up against opponents. He did it in Perth, he did it in, at Easter Road, uh, and he's doing this particularly when he feels the opponents have got a match fitness advantage. Now, obviously, uh, Viking have been playing right the way through since June, uh, they're 16, 17 games into a league season. So even though you know we haven't just started out as we were last time perhaps against uh, Runovic, there's definitely still a, an advantage to the Norwegians in terms of being match ready. So do you think it's possible that we'll just match up with a 4-3-3? I think it probably. I think we definitely will. I mean, you know, they'll be. They're slightly more seasoned, I suppose you would you would call it this. You no, know, they've played more games. And we've, you know, we're only just really kind of getting going in this season, having had the, you know, the the big layoff and then the the the, the smaller enforced layoff as well, because it's a one-off game. You, you certainly, as you said, you can't can't really go and be going gun ho over there. Um, you have to be a little, perhaps not necessarily a little more cautious, but perhaps slightly wary. 
um, of, of of giving anything away. So I think definitely, definitely sort of, sort of the four three three four four two three one, whatever you want to call it, um, that he's that he's been, he's favoured in the past. Um, so I, de- I definitely think that. And yeah, like Callum says, I'm. You know, he has Hernandez has that experience of that that level of football. Um, I think that he will pro- he would probably come in. Um, of course. Watch us! Watch us all look totally stupid when he doesn't travel. <laughs> that tends to be the case when Tio Martin we, we look stupid on a weekly <laughs> basis. Well, a twice weekly basis uh, lately, <laughs> actually. So uh, I double the stupidness this season. Um, I think this is genuinely a top up, cal- uh, a top up, a toss up, Callum. Um, what about yourself? Um, yeah, genuinely, I have no idea uh, how it's going to go. Um, like I've, I don't think I've ever seen a Norwegian football game, and uh, I, I watched the goals um, from the game uh, on Saturday, and I sure they scored five goals, and there was one that was a an absolute peach, but um, I felt like there was a lot of luck to the other ones. Uh, there were deflections all over the place and this kind of thing, so we can't write them off. But I think you know, I think it's a pretty similar standard. So I'm hopeful. I mean, that there's just, yeah, who knows? I wonder, another thing, think about the formation. I wondered if maybe we do stick with the back three, but just have the two wingbacks uh, and actually, you know, play a proper five at the back. Yeah, um, that's definitely, it's definitely an option, but I think you're still leaving your your central defenders with man-v-man situation, and therefore if someone's going to break from their midfield, it's, you don't have that spare man then. Um I think it just we can. I can see us shifting formation a few times, maybe during the course of Thursday, because unlike a standard European away game, as someone rightly pointed out in the feed today, this is a one-off tie. So yeah. you know we have to go there and try and win it. So so maybe at points we will be a bit more gung ho and we will, we will look to go man for man, uh, because obviously there's a big carrot um, to face Sporting in the following round, um, Martin. Tommy Hoban is going to be fit enough to play, even though it's a plastic pitch on Thursday. There's no issue or concern about that. I kind of hate the received wisdom that players recovering from injury can't play on plastic pitches. I think there's genuinely an issue around sort of ankle knocks and ankle injuries, but it, it doesn't really have an impact. But what the manager has come out and said that in terms of his recovery abilities, he's not going to be able to play in both Thursday night and next Sunday against Motherwell. So, so which one of the two do you do you have him for? Uh, you have to. I think we'll have to play him against um, against Viking. Um, you know th- this this the thing about the about players that they can't play on the plastic surfaces has came from. I think it really started. With, it didn't start. It didn't start with Stephen McLean, um, where he was sort of, he he got get quite arsey and moaning about ha- um, Hamilton. And then Kolmarnik's pitch as well, saying he couldn't play. And it's, it's, it depends what kind of pitches these have got. I mean, he was the one that kind of led to it. And I know that um, a few other players have had a, a pop at them as well. I know. I think even Shea Logan has moaned about these pitches as well. But it depends what kind of it depends what kind of standard these pitches are. And I mean, I think that you know, Tommy Hoban will be will be has to play um, against Viking. You know, the European football is is important to the club. It's important to all of us. It is. It's it's fifty fifty, and you know, part part of that does come down to you know, um, my my knowledge on Norwegian football is a, is about as good as my Scottish Championship knowledge, uh, which is basically non-existent. non-existent. Hearts, <laughs> um, have, hearts have never been relegated to the Norwegian elite series, though. So you know, 
there's a there's a fact. We'll pop that up and we can pop that fact up on the feed then. Um, I'll be on the honours board. <laughs> absolutely will. Um, but yeah, um, so I think Tommy Hoban. I think Tommy Hoban has to play, um, and if that means he can't play against Motherwell, then then so be it. We, we know we know what you're going to get from Motherwell. No, they could be stuffy. I think you know someone like maybe Taylor or someone can come in. Uh, but what these these one-off ties um, when you're away from home uh, against against a really diff, a really good a good team, um, but as as we are, um, I think who certainly will be a better team than than Motherwell will be. I think we need to have our best players playing, um, and Tommy Hoban absolutely is. You no, know, we've raved about him. Raved about him the last couple of episodes. We raved about him tonight, so I think yeah, he has to play. And unfortunately, if he can't play two games, two games in a week, then so be it. With regards to the plastic pitch, calm. I think we've got, and I spoke about this with Ben. We've got a bit of a hang up on plastic pitches in this country because of the way in which they're used in this country. Because the teams who have them tend to use them to try and exploit a bit of a tactical advantage because they don't water them fully. Uh, in order to make the ball stick uh, and make uh, sort of teams who spend a bit more money and technically have better players uh, make them struggle to to play through them. Whereas in other leagues, I, I think they make sure that the quality of the pitch is the best it can possibly be for a good game of football. And obviously, you watch a, a reasonable amount of MLS, and I'm I'm right in saying there's quite a few plastic pitches uh, amongst that. Yeah, it's interesting actually because Toronto played out in Vancouver during the week, and two of our players. Were sitting. They didn't play because of the plastic pitch, um, okay. because of injury history. Um, so it's definitely you know a theory here as well that it can lead to injuries. I think it didn't Fraser Fivey ruin his knee in Alloa or something in a cup tie. Uh, yeah, but hopefully none of the dance players will be using blades to play on the plastic pitch. Right. On, That's uh, a problem. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I can't say. Um, as much if you know they deploy the same tactics in MLS as they do in Scotland when it comes to the quality of the pitch, there certainly are some grounds in uh, the US where they don't seem to care. Sports in the in North America, there's these stadiums are all multi-purpose, and like you've got ones that'll they'll be playing American football games on them this week, rugby next week, and then try and play a football game on them the week after and. Some of them are, you know, like a la Fir Park from, what, 15 years ago or something. A classic Scottish football surface, yeah. that. Uh, more sand than an Aberdeen beach. This country, the UK, doesn't have a great experience, I think, with plastic pitches. But obviously in the US and Canada, they're much more widely used, much more widely used for other sports as well. Uh, and in Norway, as Ben pointed out, it's a, it's a no-brainer for a lot of the clubs there because of the climate conditions. I think it's going to be an issue before the match. Hopefully it's not an issue during the match. and I don't see it being so. I think it will be a case of the best side on the night winning. Uh, the real disappointment, obviously, Martin, and you know, hopefully we get the opportunity to talk about this prior to next week as well, is that the supporters are missing out on you know what would be a very convenient trip to get to. Slamanga might not be top of many people's want list, but it is a truly lovely place to go to, that harbour side in the middle of summer with all the bars around it. It would have been a magnificent trip away, and then obviously the potential of Lisbon next week would have just been unbelievable. Ah, it is. I mean, it's, it's so disappointing. Um, you know, we've had we've had how many years of... Not that some of the trips, were, the, the, the past couple of seasons haven't, haven't been, you know... Tyson are good, but we've had these trips, you know, basically where we played Kyra Almaty, you know, we're basically going to China. 
Georgia, I'm sure, is a lovely place, but it's you know, it, they're not they're not probably top of people's lists. And when you see like Stavanger, potentially Lisbon, it is a real sickener. Um, you know, there's obviously more important things going on in the world than you no know, you know, us bubbling about not being able to travel away for a football game. But in the in this in the circumstance you find yourself in, it is really it is really disappointing and hard to take that um, you can't go because this the, that one and you no. Know, Stavanger and particularly no potentially Lisbon uh, would have been absolutely magic trips. Yes, I'm really looking forward to next year's first qualifying round against Hades United away from home. <laughs> um, <laughs> after Thursday night, we're back to league business. Motherwell on Sunday. Uh, Callum, this strikes me as quite similar to the Kilmarnock game in a lot of ways. A side who are no doubt capable, um, a side who are stuffy and will be set out not to lose first and foremost and a side whose strength is uh, mainly in their midfield It's funny, I haven't really seen any of Motherwell for a while I feel like but no, you're right, it will be a, a similar game which is making me think that we'll go with the same kind of formation and we'll see what happens Well we will, absolutely uh, yeah. Martin, again, post that uh, first game of the season we looked at the fixture list and, and maybe got a bit worried but after we strung a few results together, the September fixture list offered a real chance to go on a run, at least domestically. You know, Kilmarnock at home, winnable game. Motherwell at home, winnable game. Ross County away, winnable game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you look at even even the games after that. You know, aren't aren't games that you would be you know, really terrified of? I mean, I think it's I think after that it's St Mirren. We've got St Mirren at Pataudry and then um, away to Dundee United. Um, so it's there's nothing there to be there to be terrified of. So no, the the kind of the taking just taking that one Celtic game out of there that we couldn't play um, has has made the the fixture the run of fixtures look really was really kind for us. We're on a really good run, you know. We're winning games, keeping um, keeping some clean sheets as well, which is no is brilliant to see. So yeah, I'm. I'm I'm quite. I'm really quite positive about this. Um, I think we've got uh, good opportunity to you know, to get some get some proper points on the board. Um, you know, like you know, we managed to beat we beat Hibs, um, which I think was a bit was a big result, um, given that you know, they've started really well in the se- well in the season. They've been scoring some goals. So yeah, this is a, this is a really good opportunity, and you know, it's we're putting a putting a run of wins together. Particularly, and if you include the European game as well against Runovic, you know, um, I think that was really. We really should be positive, and we've got a ge- we've got games coming up that are, as you say, definitely winnable games. Um, and you, know, you keep racking up those three points potentially into the next round of the Europa League as well. And you know, all appears rosy. Well, let's hope all is indeed rosy by the time we next reconvene properly next week. Until then, you'll be able to get our on the whistle podcasts um, on Thursday night after the game against Viking, and indeed next Sunday after the Motherwell game. But uh, our thanks to uh, to Emma for coming on and talking about her experience at Pataudry this weekend. To Ben for giving us uh, the lowdown on Viking. To Callum. Thank you, Callum. Thank you for having me. No, it's been a great joy to have you back on, and um, you know, make, start that Toronto ASC um, as soon as you as soon as safety allows you to. And um, as ever, thank you to Martin Clunas. Always a pleasure, Rich. So until next week when we can hopefully talk again with another couple of Aberdeen victories in the bag. Come on, you Reds.